Welcome to our series on the book of Hebrews. In this study, lead pastor Tim Brooks and associate pastor Paul Kern will be sharing life-impacting truths. The Gospels reveal what Jesus did on earth. But now that Jesus has resurrected from the dead and entered into heaven, what does he do? What role does he play? And how does that affect our lives today? These questions and more will be explored in this informative and revealing 10-part series. Now, join lead pastor Tim Brooks. And the Bible just sees no differentiation between heavy doctrinal topics and practical daily life. And that's what I get out of seeing chapter 12 go into chapter 13. This is just practical daily living, but it's right involved in some of the most heavy doctrinal deep teachings that you could possibly have. And the Bible does not divide secular and religious and, oh, this is heavy, this is some deep revelation. Yeah, okay, well, stay with your wife. Be kind to each other. I mean, you know, it's, it, it just goes hand in hand. Uh, the emphasis in these last three chapters has been living by faith. In chapter 11, we saw examples of our faith, or what we talked about as heroes of the faith. In chapter 12, we talked about an encouragement to live by faith and to walk in faith. It was an encouragement of our faith. In chapter 13, I believe it wraps up Hebrews by talking about evidences that you are living by faith. Evidences that you are a man or woman of faith. In chapter 13, we really see four evidences here that you are living by faith. In verse 1 through verse 6, enjoying right relationships with each other is an evidence that you are walking in faith, that you are a faith person, when you are a Christian, when you have right relationship with other people. Verse 7 through 9 and also verse 17, submitting to spiritual leadership in your life is another evidence that you are living your life on your faith. Uh, the third one, verse 10 through 16 and then verse 18 and 19, we're going to see a sharing in in spiritual matters, a sharing in worship. Uh, but you, you know, I, I just hear, and you do too, well, I don't have to go to church. I just have my relationship with the Lord out here by myself. Well, clearly, by yourself, we're to have a relationship with the Lord, and you have your time with God. But there is a gathering together that the Bible talks about. There is an assembling together that is important. And the fact that you, well, I'm going to read chapter 13 of Hebrews at home. The fact that you drove here, came here, and assembled together is a very vital part. And the fact that you did that shows that I'm living my life by faith. And then the last one, 20 and 21, experiencing his lordship. Talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, not just Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Experiencing his lordship. Let's look at these four uh, quickly. Right relationships with other people. Verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. The basis for Christianity is brotherly love. That is a foundation basis for Christianity. It's not race. It's not family relationships. 
It is the fact that we are living our lives as Christians that produce a love between us. Now, this may or may not be very significant to you, but to the Hebrews, this was a huge wow. Because if you remember, the only people that had a relationship with God were Jews. You had to be a certain skin color, you had to be a certain nationality, you had to be a certain race, or you, we didn't have nothing to do with you. I mean, we didn't walk on the same side of the street with you. And so when the writer here in verse 1 says, you show that you're walking right with God, it's when you got brotherly love. When your heart is open, regardless of gender or race, it's in Jesus that we have a family. There is a close relationship with other Christians that our salvation or our acceptance of Jesus produces. And when you really are living your life by faith, you, you just tell you the truth, you lose interest in hanging around a bunch of non-believers. Now, clearly, we work, we make a living, we're, we're involved daily, but if, if I'm going to choose who I'm going to spend time with, it's not going to be a bunch of non-believers. Now, whenever you are choosing to hang with non-believers, that is a real key that you're not right with God. Because an evidence that you are right with God is the people you associate with. And that's what he said. You will have brotherly love. And the, the, verse 1 he uses the word brothers and sisters. Those are family. That's a family terminology. And when you are born again, then you come from the same source. Are, are you with There's a, that like we, we are brothers and sisters. Well, hey, brother, hey, sister. Well, truly, that is the right terminology because we now have the same father when you're born again. And as many of you can uh, attest to this, you become closer to friends that you have in church than you are with even blood-related family members. Much, much, much closer. Well, why is that so? Because I am related by blood to Darren. See, he and I are related by blood. Because, not of our first birth, but because of our second birth. Timmy and I are brothers. Why? Because we have the same father, because we have been born again. Now that makes us brothers, and there is a relationship there that's closer, that you depend on, and, and you'll find yourself, there are people right here in church that I would call in the time of need before I would even call people that I may be kin to. How does that happen? Brotherly love. Sister, that's what he's talking about here in verse 1. Verse 2. Don't forget to show hospitality. There is evidence that you are living by faith when you are a hospitable person. We're called to be hospitable. Why? It's real simple. The Christian life is not a selfish life. That's just the way it is. The Christian life is not a selfish life. And when you become a Christian, then you become aware, this home is not mine. 
I came here without this home and I will leave this earth without this home. This home has been entrusted to me. The money that I have is not my own. The master has gone away on a journey and he entrusted this two or this three. I'm my house. I can do what I want to with my house. When Jesus becomes Lord, things don't have a hold on you. You use things, but things don't begin to use you. Right here, my two daughters on the front row, uh, Lindley and Mike. Christine from Kansas City, wants to come to school here, needs a place to live. Sure. They're not related to her. There is no reason that they are obligated to have her. But verse 2 says, you are obligated. There wasn't a choice. I I said, Lindley, is that what y'all want to do? And she, I mean, when I heard that, they were going to have Christine come live. I said, is that what y'all want to do? She said, they wouldn't have a choice. She's got to be here. See, when you, when you begin to live your life, we don't have a choice. We'll have a choice. David and Melissa sitting right here. Young man called and, hey, I want to, we got a room. She said, that room's mine. I'm not keeping, that's my guest room. That's my, well, see, things are not yours. You're a steward. You're a manager of things. And when that becomes revelation to you then you become very hospitable and that's what he says don't forget show hospitality why because that's an evidence that you're walking right with the lord verse three those in prison you know as a christian you don't forget people who are hurting i'm down in prison what does that have to do with me well as a christian you see people in need you see people that are hurting, and so you, you don't forget that your heart goes out to people who you may can help in some way. Verse 4, just as practical as we can get here, give honor to marriage. Ooh, that'd be a good topic for this generation. Give honor to marriage and to remain faithful to one another in marriage. And God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who want to commit adultery. And I really do believe this. I think there is such an attack on the very definition of marriage because it is the foundation for society. The very first institution created by God that everything else in life is built on was a man leaving the father and mother, Adam and Eve, joining together and becoming one flesh. So that is a fundamental element of society. Four evidences of living by faith. Verse 5 and 6 goes on with a place of contentment. A relationship with others that's right. Uh, and uh, I, th- I think this is to do a relationship with yourself. Look what it says. Look what it says here in verse 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. God says, I'll never fail you. I'll never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I have no fear. What, what's people going to do to me? There's a pl- when you're right with God, there is a place of satisfaction. When you're not right with God, you've got an itch that can't be scratched and you've got to have a new car every six weeks. 
I mean, you gotta have a new this, you gotta be adding on, you gotta be building, you gotta be changing, you gotta have this, you gotta have more of this, you gotta do this. You, you know, when you get right with God, you're pretty happy. It, it, you, they're just a satisfaction of what you're driving and what you're wearing and where you're living, and you just get at peace with the world. Four evidences of living by faith. Number one, right relations, right relationships with others, and, and I think with, with yourself. Number two, a submitting to spiritual leadership. Look in verse 7, 8, and 9. Remember your teachers. Verse 17, obey your leaders. Verse uh, 24, greet your leaders. Remember your leaders. Obey your leaders. Greet your leaders. Never allow bitterness, misunderstandings, offenses to get in your heart where spiritual leaders are in your life. Verse 7, remember your leaders who taught you the Word of God. Look what it says. Think of all the good that has come from their lives. When I read something like that, I stop and I think about it. Why did he say that? Probably because there's a lot of bad. I mean, there's not anybody perfect. And you will always be able to find imperfections in people. You'll always be able to undermine. You'll always be able to gossip. You'll always be able to fault find. Well, I gave what I never I'm not a. You guys at Teen Challenge, not any leader at Teen Challenge is perfect. They have a list of faults. And y'all can sit around and talk about those faults in the dorm all night long. What you need to do is remember the good they're doing. Remember the good that they're doing. I mean, you're going to have to let the, let the stuff that's not perfect in there. But Jesus is not running Teen Challenge down there. People are running Teen Challenge. And they're doing the best they can and laying their life down for you. So instead of going back to the room and gossiping and talking and running them down and eating them alive. and uh, Real simple. Remember the good that has come from their lives. And follow their example of faith. Now, when you get a guy doing that, you'll find a guy that's right with the Lord. When you get a guy that's running down the leadership, finding fault with the leadership, there's a guy not quite right with the Lord, not living his life right in faith. Don't allow that stuff to happen. You think of the good, you don't think of the bad. Verse 8 and 9, I love this scripture. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Stay the same. Allow the Lordship of Jesus to bring a stability to your life where you are not living your life on an emotional roller coaster, where you are tossed to and fro by everything that comes down the pike. Jesus is the same, so you just be the same. You're pretty much the same every day. You just live your life, and the more you're like Jesus, the more consistent your life becomes. The less you're like Jesus, the more highs and lows and emotional ups and downs that you live. Get a hold of Jesus, and your life just gets really, really consistent. The third evidence is sharing in worship. Sharing in worship. Look, 10, verse 10, 11, 12, 13. It's let us, now, and I underline this phrase, let us go out. Let us, see, there is a going out that is corporately. 
You, you, let us go out. Verse 14 and 15, there is a continual praise. Verse 16, keep doing good. There is a constant doing of good. Verse 18 and 19, there is a praying for others, not just yourself. See, your Christian life, if you, there, the evidence that you are living a Christian life is you're praying for other people. There is a continual doing good. There is a continual praise. And there is a gathering together and a going out. Look at how this unfolds for us. The fourth evidence of faith is Jesus' lordship in our life. Look in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Verse 20, our Lord. An evidence that you are living by faith is the lordship of Jesus in your life. You can go to church and not have Jesus Lord. But when, when you begin to make Jesus Lord of your life, then that is an evidence that you are living your life by faith. Well, there is, follow me through verse 20. I, I just started writing these words down. I thought, my goodness, you, you could teach a whole sermon on each one of these. The God of peace. God is a God of peace. He's not a God of turmoil. He's not a, lot, a God of stress, not a God of pressure, not a, a God a, a just wringing your hands, a God of peace. See, when you turn your life, you turn your stuff over to God, you're flooded with peace. He is a God of peace. Follow me. Up from the dead, resurrection. How long can we talk about the fact that we don't serve a dead God? that we serve a resurrected and a living God. That word, our Lord, he is our Lord. Lordship, the great shepherd, the great shepherd. You, you just begin to think about a shepherd. You think about a shepherd that, that protects the sheep, that'll, that keep the wolves away. You think about a shepherd that will lead the sheep into green pastures that will lead the sheep beside still waters. You, you think about a shepherd that lead and guide and direct and provide for and protect the sheep. He is our great shepherd. What you jerked up about? What, what you so jerked up about? Well, Tim, you don't know what happened at work today. He's your great shepherd. He is your great shepherd. Look at the next one. Eternal covenant. We'll be talking about this in here for nine weeks. It is an eternal covenant. The covenant is with his blood. See, this covenant is not based on you keeping the law. This covenant is based on his blood. He equips you for doing his will. He doesn't just ask you to do his will, but he equips you to do it. Not only is he giving you a job, but he's giving you the tools to do the job. I like this next. Produce in you. He is producing things in me. God is producing things in my life. And boy, this next word, 
the power of Jesus. The power, we're not talking about just one of many philosophers. There is power in Jesus. There is power in Jesus to overcome the obstacles in your life. We close out with verse 22 through verse 25. It's not really known what Timothy's relationship to this group of Hebrews was. But, but here's the importance, and you can't miss this. And I open with this, and I, I want to uh, end Hebrews with this. Remember, remember our brother Timothy got out of jail the other day? Well, what's significant about that? Oh, y'all remember Timothy now? He got out of jail. Why is that in the Scripture? What is significant about that? Here's what you've got to get. God's interested in individual people, and He knows your name. He's interested in individual, not just groups, not masses, but here in Scripture, God is calling our attention to an individual that got out of jail. What is that significant? Why is that in the Holy Word of God? What significant is that to me? What's significant about that is God's interested in you and where you are and what you just got out of and where you're going. God is, God is interested in individual people, not just masses and not just groups. Take notice of the word, our brother. Our brother. Personal, individual, calls you by name. That's significant. That is significant. Well, what a great study this has been for us. Take just a few minutes and, and tie all of this together, kind of wrap some of this up. Uh, God created mankind, and He created mankind perfect. Mankind was sinless, he was perfect. He was in a perfect environment. There was no hurricanes, there was no tsunamis, there was no earthquakes. God's plan was a perfect person in a perfect environment, and there would never be a headache. There, there would never be a splinter. I'm talking about it would never rain out your picnic. Water just rose from the ground and watered stuff. Now, I mean, it was just a perfect environment. But God gave man a choice. He didn't want man living in that perfect environment without a choice. He gave man a choice. Brother Greg was just talking to me right here before church. So they got a guy that came in, been living under a bridge. Under a bridge in this cold, wet, damp weather, hungry. Greg took him in for a couple of days. And the guy says to Greg, I'm going back to live under the bridge. Greg's good. You can't be serious. Yeah, I just like it there. I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say to that. I don't know, I don't know what to say to you, you know, here's a $100 bill and here's a $1 bill. Choose which one you want. I believe I'll take the $1 bill. Wrong choice. I don't know what to tell you, but that was just the wrong choice. God said... Look, Adam, here's a $100 bill, and here's a $1 bill. He ate the apple. 
There's a lot of other apples. There's a lot of other trees. There's a lot of other fruit. There's plenty to eat. We've got a warm bed right here, and we've got stuff to eat. And You're going to do what? Man made the wrong choice. And man continues to make the wrong choice today. Here is good, and here's evil. I believe I'll go evil. Man, here's you a good life. Here's you a blessed life. I believe I'll choose a life of hell. Just the police chasing me, and everybody that I'm related to hates me and won't even let me come home, and nobody will speak to me. That sounds fun. I mean, that's what man did. Man chose wrong. Well, when man chose wrong, you've got a perfect God, and now you've got a sinful man, and so we've got an impassable gulf here. A sinful man is not going to walk in the cool of the day, walking and talking in the garden with God. It's not going to happen. You can't have sin and perfection coexisting. That Adamic sin nature then was passed down to all mankind. Now, here is something, and I've said this several times in this study, and I want to make sure that every member of this church understands this. We are not sinners because we sin. I want to make sure you understand that. I want to make sure you know that. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Now, you've got to know that. We are born with a sin nature. Nobody teaches an 18-month-old to be selfish. No one teaches an 18-month-old to bite his playmate and to take away his toy. We sin because there is a nature inside. Why did you bite that kid? I don't know. Truly, you don't know. There is a sin nature. I mean, you didn't think about it. It wasn't, ah, why'd you do that? I don't know. Because there is a sin nature that we are born with. Now, that is the place that people are trying to live their life. You're trying to stay married with a sin-selfish nature. It's it's not going to work. You're trying to make a living and save money with a sinful nature. It's not going to work. You're trying to be a good parent with a sinful, selfish nature. It's not going to work. Life does not work for the sinner. Life, it, 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 you can't, and you fight it, and you butt heads, and you fight it, and you butt heads, and you struggle your whole life because life does not, we can't coexist with a bunch of sinners here. Life doesn't work with sinners, but we all are one. Why? You were born that way. Now, in the midst of that situation, you're looking for peace. You are looking for a way out of this dominance, this control, this obligation to sin that you have. And you don't want to be that way, but you do it anyway. You don't want to act like that, but you act that way. I didn't want to say that, but I said it anyway. I need out of this mess. And so this religion offers you something, and so you jump in that. And this religion offers you something, and you go for that. And so you get this book, and you start reading that. And so you go out and sit on a rock in the sun, and you hum, and you cross your legs. And you do all kind of things to try to put you in contact with God. Now, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know. I want you to know. I don't care what religion you follow. 
I don't care what religious teacher you follow. I don't care what philosophy that you follow. I don't care what philosophical books that you study. If the sin nature is not dealt with, then that religion is of no value to you. Regardless of how caught up you are in its ideologies. Because your problem is the sin nature. The problem that we deal with is the sin nature that we are born with. And we're jumping from religion to religion to religion. We're going to this center to that center. We're going to this rehab to that rehab. We're going to this philosopher to that philosopher. And I'm telling you, not any of that will work for you until you find something that will deal with the sin nature. And there's only one option for that. There's only one option in the world for dealing with the sin nature. That there's not another option. Well, I found peace in this religion. And you may. Well, I found good teachings in this religion. And, and you, you may have found some good teachings. But here's what the problem is. And it will continue to resurface. The problem is your sin nature. And until that issue is dealt with, you're going to continue to struggle in your life. Now, the Old Covenant comes along and is cut between Abraham and God, and, and it dealt with sin by telling us what not to do. Don't eat this, don't wear that, don't touch this. And you read all of Leviticus. It tells you everything not to do. The problem is, we tried for a couple of thousand years to do what Leviticus told us to do, and we couldn't. We tried to don't do that, except we couldn't don't. We wanted to don't, but we couldn't don't. Well, why couldn't you don't do it? Because of a nature problem. It continued to drive you to touch the wrong thing, to eat the wrong thing, to say the wrong thing, to wear the wrong thing. You didn't, I mean, you, you just could not keep all of the laws. The only problem was the whole old covenant was based on you keeping the law. We built the tabernacle then we, that was immovable. We built the temple that then became permanent. And this was the embodiment of the dwelling place of God. I'm looking forward to my mom teaching the next three weeks on... The tabernacle is going to change your whole life when you get a hold of this. This is going to be the best thing you ever heard. When you understand, because it will make clear what I'm telling you right here. The, the, the temple was a focal point. See, God, where does God live? In our heart. You, you feel His presence. That was not possible under the Old Covenant. So where did God live? I don't know. He's up here. I don't know where He is. Well, Moses went up on the mountain. Where is God? Well, God was in the temple. And he lived in the Holy of Holies in a certain room in the temple. And that Ark of the Covenant that sat in there was a focal point for man and God. So the priest had to take an animal with no spot or blemish, no defect, and, and, and an, an example of a sinless person. And that sinless animal had to die and it covered our sins. The word atonement is all through the Old Testament. It's not ever mentioned in the New Testament. The word atonement was a covering for sin, and that's what happened. 
you don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. So you did what you were supposed to not do. So then you took your little lamb that didn't have any spots or blemishes on him, and the priest covered that sin for you. And then you went out and you messed up again, so the only thing you could do is bring another lamb and offer that as a sacrifice to cover your sin. And then you messed up again, so it's just an endless cycle. Boy, you better be a heavy breeder of lambs. Or pigeons or doves or whatever. I mean, you better have a really good source because you never could get straight. The old covenant covered sin, but it did not deal with the sin issue until John chapter 1, verse 29. When John the Baptist was baptizing for the repentance of sins in that river, and he turned around and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, and this sentence rocked the universe. Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Not cover, not make atonement. Behold. See, now maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but it means everything to me because I'm a sinner. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. That's your favorite verse in the whole Bible if you're looking for one. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And an entirely new covenant begin to come about. And that's what this study has all been about for the last 10 weeks. Is life lived under the new covenant instead of life lived under the old covenant. Your sins have been washed away. You have been born again. You die to your old nature. A new nature is born inside you. That went against everything that religion had taught in the Old Covenant for some 4,000 years. Salvation was by keeping the law for 4,000 years. And sin was covered when we broke the law. And Hebrews is an understanding of a new priesthood and a new covenant. The words better or greater were used 13 times in Hebrews. The word perfect was used 14 times in Hebrews. The word established was used 8 times in Hebrews. Forever was used more times than I had time to count. Over and over and over again. The bottom line is the old covenant dependent on man keeping the spiritual law. Don't touch this, don't eat that, don't go here. Jesus fulfilled that law and moved our relationship with God from external to internal. And until Jesus came, mankind struggled to find God. But God found man. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It's not man seeking God. It's God sought man. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with His blood. May He equip you with all you need for doing His will. May He produce in you 
through the power of Jesus Christ. Every good thing that is pleasing to Him. All glory to Him forever and ever. Amen. I pray that as we have gone through Hebrews, that in these last 10 weeks, Hebrews has gone through you. I'll stand. Lord, we're just, we're out of words when it comes to saying how grateful we are to you for our life in the new covenant. Lord, as we continue to live our life, that there are clear evidences of our faith seen by all those around us as we walk our life pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Our prayer is that you will experience Jesus in greater ways. If you would like to learn more about how to give to the ministry of CMC, please go to cmchurch.com giving. Thank you for listening today and God bless you.